You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, we're talking Utes playoffs picture and Utah UCLA, and we're joined by David Woods from Bruin Report Online, as well as the Podcast of Champions to help break down the UCLA Bruins. I'm Cameron, and we got Ryan. Hey, Ute Nation. And Scott. Hey, hubba, hubba, hubba. Hubba, hubba. <laughs> hubba, hubba, hubba. That's probably why <laughs> Scott's still building that statue for Tyler Huntley. <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll give you a progress report here in a little while. <laughs> but you know exactly where we're at. Are you building it out of a hubba bubba? Hey, it's been a long it's been a long bye week, guys. Cut me some slack. <laughs> I really want to start the episode talking about Utah's playoff chances. Do you guys feel Utah has a legitimate chance of making the playoffs? I'll take no for five hundred, Alex. And they win out. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously. That's if, the only if, option. That's the only option. And I obviously, chaos could ensue. And if we have a number of upsets and things fall fall Utah's way and we look impressive in the process, yeah, there's a chance. I just think it's all about money. They're going to take two SEC teams over a Pac-12 team every day of the week because they're going to draw better. They're going to provide better ratings, and SEC is king. I have a scenario for you. What happens if Georgia goes in and wins the SEC championship? Well, then, then there do as, they get three teams in. Well, then you've got an SEC champion in Georgia who's who will be in, assuming they don't lose ahead of time and get a second loss. But I mean, their their loss right now is egregious to South Carolina, who just lost to Appalachian State at home <laughs> on Saturday. I mean, it's ridiculous. What a, I mean, and people are holding this USC loss against against Utah, which is just mind boggling. But yeah, LSU's in, and then heck, you know, why not throw Bama in at that point? I tell you, it's ridiculous. It's it's basically the SEC playoff is what it's turning into. I don't I don't think they'll 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 do it if that happens. But I, I guarantee two SEC teams are going in. Ryan, where are you on Utah playoff picture? I'm right there with both of you. I don't think a, a lot would have to happen in Utah's favor for that for it to take place, and I I just don't see it happening. Um, but I'll take the Rose Bowl for for a consolation prize. I think everyone would. What about Oregon? Do you guys think Oregon's in if they went out? I, I, yeah, I, well, I think they've got a better shot than we do because they're ranked higher than us now. Um, and they seem to be getting the benefit of the, da- benefit of the doubt that we are not getting. Because their loss because came their loss in Auburn. Because their loss yeah. came early and to an SEC team. And whenever the Pac-12 gets brought up, it's Oregon, 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 Oregon. Oh, and Utah. I mean, it's things. things are going to have to go perfectly for Utah, I think, to get in there, which... It's just ridiculous that a Pac-12 champion is not going to get into the playoff over over a potential non-division winner, non-conference winner in Alabama with really a very mediocre schedule 
and no top 20, up until no top twenty wins. Well, up until their game against LSU, they played absolutely nobody, and they allowed forty plus points on their home field. I just it, it's that whole SEC thing, and it, it doesn't make sense. It just drives everybody crazy. Do you remember what happened last year? Everyone was saying Oklahoma did not be, deserve a shot in the playoff because they had a horrific defense who would were giving up forty points a game. Alabama just gave up, was it 49 at home? Yeah. Almost, yeah, it's almost ridiculous. 50 points. It, it it really is interesting on how that works. And I know a lot of it has to do with there's a lot more eyeballs, there's a lot more population on the East Coast. Well, it's money. Uh, of it's, the US. it's money driven. Exactly. And, and, and SEC, there's a lot bigger fan bases than other conferences. But at the same point, Larry Scott needs to do his job. And we're going to talk more about this um, later on in the episode when we kind of talk about the Pac-12 as a whole. Yeah, the SEC commissioner gets on game day and talks about what a rigorous conference they have. You don't and, see, it. and the only thing Larry Scott wants to do is push out his chest about owning the media rights that no one can watch. He's not out there campaigning for his teams. No one's talking about his teams. And really, he, they did themselves no favors by having Utah and Oregon both on buys this week. That was terrible for the conference. It was. One of However, them needed that, to mean, be in play. The, that's an unforeseen. I mean, nobody saw the the way this plays out. So I don't know. I mean, but, but, it's, but it just goes to show it's another it's another nail in the coffin of just things that just literally can't go right for the oh, conference. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing after another. Uh, and all of the people that matter just think the Pac-12 is is a joke. Uh, and and truly, the management and leadership of the Pac-12 is a joke. But I'm I'm to the point. I mean, we play these scenarios, and literally every week until the season is over, things are going to change. And so it's almost it's it's not that productive to sit here and and try and and say, okay, this has to happen, this has to happen, and get all worked up about it. At the end of the day, where I'm at. If Utah just wins out, worst case scenario, we're going to the Rose Bowl, baby. Yeah. And then and then maybe some chips fall our way and 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 you get a shot at the playoff. And uh, you know, at that point that's something we can t- discuss and kind of see how things play out. But you know, we simply by winning out, things could be looking really good for for our postseason. And I know this doesn't matter for this season, uh, obviously, but it really needs to be expanded to eight teams and and the conference champion of every P5 conference should play should get should automatic get a spot birth. automatic yeah. birth I without question it won't happen until the SEC is shut out well then let's or shut no, out Alabama and then we'll get it uh, and I don't I don't want to be negative Nancy over here but I, I you guys have said you know best case scenario you tell wins out they get the rose uh, even I think worst case scenario let's just say they drop a game maybe in the Pac-12 championship game, I think they still have a great shot at a New Year's Six Bowl. and well, Or, or a Rose even, Bowl if Oregon goes to the playoff. Exactly. And, and then first-case scenario, Alamo Bowl, which isn't bad. No, it's not it's bad. It's not a New Year's Six. Nowhere near the Rose. I'm not saying that. We would, we would take Alab- the Alamo Bowl nine times out of ten, right? 
except but, this year. But <laughs> where they have been throughout this season, Alamo Bowl, there's I, I don't know how you argue it. It would be it would be a disappointment I, at this I, point. I know. I was just putting it out there. I'm not trying to be negative, Nancy. You know, it, see this Utah team get an opportunity to to go up against a school from the SEC and see how you compete. I think this te- this year's team would compete. Whether they win or not, I don't know. But I think they compete, well, and, they're, and they may not course, get a shot. Of course they compete, because the, the SEC is so overrated. I mean, you, Arkansas. Arkansas got absolutely blasted this week. I don't even remember who they played, but I believe it was a Division II team. When their coach got fired after the game. <laughs> I mean, they, they, are, they are absolutely horrific. There's nobody in the Pac-12 that bad. But the SEC, yes, do they have some elite teams at the top? But they've got garbage throughout that conference. So out, outside of LSU, Bama, I'd like our chances against Auburn. I'd like our chances against Florida. But it's a travesty that we may not get that opportunity to show it. Nope. And and that's college football, and that's the problem with it, is you've got ESPN, you've got the networks, you've got the college football committee, that they're not they're not just going and saying, Oh, let's let's really find out who are the best teams. It's they're orchestrating things behind the scene. There's a reason ESPN continues to push this SEC getting two teams in. Because that's what they want too. They want the ratings. They want what comes with that. They do not want a West Coast Pac twelve team, especially a Utah. I mean, Oregon, Oregon has pizzazz. They've at least got a name. Well, and they've been there. And they've, they've been there. Utah doesn't. So when 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 it comes down to it, preseason or even early in the season, I don't think they have any problem with Utah putting Utah in there. But when it comes down to actually doing it, like there's oh, crap. No, <laughs> there is no way they want Utah in that game. I think that's a very interesting point because if you look at game day, the last two weekends, uh, two weekends ago, they were very high on, on Utah and Oregon and playoff chances. And then this past Saturday, it's almost like the executives at at ESPN or at Disney kind of pulled their way, got the SEC commissioner in there, and then it was, let's dump on Utah and Oregon. Another case that you, just to prove your point, Scott, on what ESPN really wants, because it's all about making money, BYU... And I'm not trying to be rude. BYU does not deserve to be talked as much as they are on ESPN. But because of their contract... Are they talked about on ESPN? They get they get some talk. They get some talk. Every once in a while, they'll kind of get a, you know, a little shout out here and there. It's only because they're on ESPN or their contract they have with ESPN. If they didn't have that, they would never talk about an independent team in Provo. No, oh, no. I mean, what's there to and talk I'm, about? I'm, exactly. And I'm just stating that point that there are things behind the scenes more than just what teams deserve to be in the playoffs and which teams do not. So we'd love to hear you know, what you think Utah's thoughts are on making uh, the playoffs and, and different bowl scenarios. Uh, you can always hit us up on Twitter at Utah Man Podcast. And no matter where Utah is going, whether it's the playoffs, the Rose Bowl, the Alamo Bowl, Heck, even the Pac-12 championship game, if they can get there. If you're looking for tickets, you need to download the Vivid Seats app. They're the top source of tickets for any event you want to go to, even if it's not a football game. If you're looking to go to a concert or just a big event in your city, check them out, Vivid Seats. And right now, you know we're running a great promotion with them. 
If you download the app and you're a first-time purchase, use promo code OVERTIME at checkout and you'll receive a discount up to $100. So not only can you get a discount of $100 when you use that promo code OVERTIME, but when you use the Vivid Seats app, you know that your purchase is backed 100% buyer guarantee. So again, check out Vivid Seats in your app store, Google Play, download it, use promo code OVERTIME. All right, so Utah does have a big road ahead of them uh, to even make the playoffs, but they still have some goals in mind with the Pac-12 championship game and the first hurdle to get there, UCLA coming up this weekend. Got some business to take care of Saturday against the upstart Bruins. Both teams coming off a bye. Chip, chip, chippy. Chip, chip, chipperoo. And his little Bruins come to town. Well, I should say they're fierce, tough Bruins, according to their wide rec- their <laughs> senior wide receiver who's got like four catches in his career. Before we bring David Woods on from Bruin Report Online, let's really break down this Utah-UCLA um, game from our perspective. UCLA, I know I've been hammering them all season. At the beginning of the year, I called them the garbage team of the Pac-12. They, I'll fully admit they proved how, me wrong. How dare you? They were garbage early. <laughs> Got <But>. garbage early. <laughs> but man, they have some bad losses uh, at Cincinnati, San Diego State, Hawaii. Oklahoma. I'll I'll give them that. Um, Oklahoma's a, a top ten team. Uh, I'll totally give them that. Uh, Arizona, Oregon State, and, and their wins. Eh, Washington State, that incredible comeback, 60, 67-63. Uh, Stanford ASU after ASU played Utah, mind you, and then they beat uh, the garbage team of Colorado. So they, I, there's not a lot to hang their hat on as far as the win-loss column, but they're definitely winning more games and playing better than what I expected. Yeah, I mean, they're they're improving quite a bit. But as you look at that schedule, you really can only base it off the the last three games they've played, right? They've got, they're on a three-game winning streak. But again, to your point, they beat Stanford horrible. ASU, who we 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 ruined. ASU's just since that Utah game has been absolutely awful. And Colorado, who's been awful for quite some time now. Who had, who beat Stanford? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's that three game stretch is nothing to write home about. But but you really can't look at what UCLA was doing on early on in the season because they have made so much progress since then. So, I mean, just looking, I, I just kind of went through those the last three games and just kind of looked at the numbers and, and, and really what UCLA is doing well. And it's really coming down, at least offensively, for them, the run game. They've got the run game going. That's their bread and butter. That's that's really what's allowing them to have success is what they're able to do on, on the ground. But then you look at what Utah does to running teams. Yeah. And that I mean that's what that's that's where okay with that's our goal is I mean that's Whittingham's always his goal is to stop the run first without looking how many yards is Utah average on average giving up in total they're only giving up about two hundred and sixty yards how about in total in total and you're asking for on the ground on the ground okay whoever gets closer <laughs> gets to help me finish the sculpture. <laughs> <laughs> I I honestly I think they're giving up about ninety yards on the ground. Ryan, uh, I'm gonna. I think probably I think Cameron's close. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go eighty-eight. Of course, Ooh. he's gonna ride my coattails. Ryan wins by 
just because he just was lower. Is it 85? 56 yards. Oh, my gosh. 56 yards. I didn't realize that. I didn't know it was that low. Leads the country. 56 yards a game. After nine games, we're averaging 56 yards rush defense. So over the last three games, if you average it out, we're about 83 yards a game, which tells you how dominant we've been prior to those three games to be at 56 yards a game. Well, then you say that UCLA's... The reason their offense is is clicking right now is their run game. So you 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 put a stop to that. They don't have an offense right now. I mean UCLA uh, through the air, they're passing for about 179 yards a game, which is nothing to write home about. Not that productive through the through the air, but again, it's all come it's all coming on the on the ground, and they're rushing right now for 226 yards a game. And again, that's just that's in their last three games. So if you average over the course of the season, it's even lower than that. But if you think about it, 226 on the ground, that's pretty productive. But 179 through the air, it doesn't make an overall potent offense. So it really comes down, can Utah stop the run like they've been doing all season and then really try and make Dorian Thompson one-dimensional through the passing game? That's going to be the key to success. That will be the key. And he he's a pretty dynamic athlete and, and a running quarterback i mean he he's phenomenal it's gonna i would say that's their i think that's their main goal is to to contain him uh going into this game because it, you can stop the you'd be able to maybe stop the running back uh, attack but if you let him escape the pocket and pick up first downs then it changes the, com- the complexion of the game so if you're Morgan Scally, then do you have a Devin Lloyd or a Francis Bernard play spy? Well, I, I think you're going to see something different. And Kyle Whittingham alluded to that today in his press conference, that you're going to see a different attack because they're, they're going to have to. You're not going to be able to allow Bradley and I and Mika Tafua to rush up the field and create those huge gaps that Dorian Thompson can just step through and then and then attack and kind of just lose containment. Lose at containment, that point. and and then you've got a, a defense that is going to be in man coverage the majority of the time with their back, and he's just he'd be able to just chunk you. So I think it's going to be really key that our defensive ends are going to have to play assignment sound football. You're probably not going to get an eye, you know, getting tons of pressures and and sacks in this game. They've got to, I would suspect that uh, Scali's going to have them playing a little bit more conservative, keeping him in the pocket and not creating these big, big gaping holes that he can gash the defense on. going to go back to the Mountain West days when they're playing Air Force, assignment football. Yep. <laughs> well, and I think they've done really well at that this year. I mean, look at the BYU they, game that right. started off yeah. you know, with Zach Wilson and his ability to get uh, out of the pocket and escape pressure. Bradley and I... Mika Tafua, Max Tupai kind of sealed those edges and and really contained him in. So I think the good thing is that this is something Utah has done. And I think that's one thing that this makes this Utah defense so great is that they can play against different style of offenses, whether it's a Washington State or, or a team more like ASU where you have a, a dominant quarterback in Jaden Daniels that can run the ball. I think this is just an, another game that Utah's defense can dictate what the offense is going to do on the other side of the ball. Well, and, and Dorian Thompson, I mean, you can't forget about his ability in the run game with the read option. You can't have your defensive ends crash that running back, and then he pulls it, and he's got the edge. So 
you're really going to have to be stout th- uh, across the board and not just uh, the running game from uh, from Joshua Kelly, but really keeping Dorian Thompson in check and not giving up those edges, which again, you know, with two weeks to prepare, obviously Scally's well aware of what they're going to need to do. But with two weeks to prepare for this UCLA offense and Chip Kelly, what are th- what tweaks are they going to put in play to maybe offset what they think we're going to do? But I think I think Scally's going to kind of want to make sure and see what they're what they're running, what personnel they're using, because you know they they have changed a little bit throughout the season, and so I I I would venture a guess that early on we're going to be pretty conservative and kind of come out slow and maybe even give up some some plays, give up some yardage, hopefully not a score. Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start off maybe a little slow defensively like we did against Washington, but able to come uh, and, and then once we figured out what they're doing, put the, put the clamps on it and really lock it down. Is there any concern with Utah coming off of a bye week kind of being a little flat? Not for me. I think uh, the USC lost this team is in a completely different mindset and and they know what they know what they have to do and this bye week only gave them an opportunity to heal up I mean, you heard Whittingham today say every every player is healthy uh, you can't, obviously not 100% but it came at a perfect time for Huntley to get healthy and they they know what it's sta- what's at stake i'm not worried about that at all well and let's not forget we as a fan base take it personally when the Utes are not being talked about as a legit playoff contender, right? We get all we get all heard about it, but what does that do to this football team? And and how does this football team thrive? They thrive when they've got a chip on their shoulder. They're not being taken seriously for the playoffs. Today, Tyler Huntley post practice talks about the only way they're going to be able to get in the playoff is they've got to show it. They know what they got to do. I don't. I don't see at this point of the season with what's on the line. I don't see them overlooking by any margin this UCLA team. I think they're focused. They know what they have to do. You combine that with finally getting Tyler hundred percent, hopefully, and and hopefully getting everybody else close to it. I think the recipe is right there for the Utes to come out on fire. I think Rice Eccles better be on fire itself. Um, it, it needs to be an electric atmosphere, big time game. You fans need to show up, and I, I, I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a really good performance by this team. All right, all of our betting Ute fans, November, lots of uh, lots of different sports you can uh, play some bets on right now. My bookie AG place to get in on the action. If you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. So if you deposit 2000 you get an extra 1000 in free money to play with. Use the promo code OVERTIME to activate the offer and take advantage of the generous sign-up offer that they're, they're offering for a limited time. So it's visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Let's go. All right, joining us on the phone now is David Woods from Bruin Report Online, part of 247 Sports, and the host of Podcast of Champions, David. Thanks for jumping on. No problem, guys. Excited to talk uh, Utah-UCLA. You know, I think it's going to be a really good game. UCLA, they've been playing pretty well as of late. You know, on the season, they're 4-5. and five. 
Do you think UCLA right now is playing as what was expected? Are they achieving more or underperforming? Give us kind of a sense where this UCLA team is right now. So what I would say is right now they look like the team I was expecting to start the year. Um, Their defense, it's mainly been fueled by the defense the last uh, three games. Um, they changed some things in the bye week prior to Stanford, um, where they started bringing a little bit more pressure, playing a little bit more single gap up front, um, and playing some smaller, quicker guys on their defensive line. And the changes have been, uh, really great. Now the, the test is going to be this weekend, um, because the three teams they've played are all, you know, average at best, um, Pac-12 teams. Uh, Utah is going to be an entirely different challenge. So I'm interested to see. But yeah, this this looks like the UCLA team I was expecting to start the year. Uh, definitely a bumpier start to the season than anyone would have expected. Yeah, you, you think of a Chip Kelly a team, and, and you think offense, and uh, and obviously he's he, in these at least in these last three games he's gotten the offense going. Um, but it's really that defense I think has turned. Um, turned UCLA around, only allowing 86 yards um, on the ground in these last three games. What kind of explain what uh, what's gone on as far as the coaching um, with UCLA's defense and and scheme a little bit? Sure. So um, last year and into this year, they were running um, basically their base defense a lot more, um, and their base defense involves some pretty hefty uh, nose and, and defensive tackles. Um, and it just, it really wasn't working right. Um, they weren't getting into the backfield at all. They had no pass rush, um, no base pass rush. And then they weren't, they weren't blitzing effectively. And what they did were, was essentially personnel changes as well as scheme changes. Um, they've gone to a lot more nickel. Um, and they've also um, used a lot more single gap up front. So their defensive linemen are shooting gaps rather than just trying to plug quite as much. Um, and to do that, they're using some smaller, quicker guys. A guy who was playing essentially outside linebacker last year, and Odua Isabor, is now playing defensive tackle. Um, and he's been effective there. Osa Digazua is almost never coming off the field as a three technique. Um, and he's been really, really disruptive the last three games. But it was a combination of a variety of things. They definitely made a ton of changes. I know Chip Kelly is big on saying it's just execution that improves, but that's just the eye test will show you when you're watching the game. It's it's they're they're running an entirely different defense, and that's why it's been so much better the last three weeks. It, David, we all know that uh, Thompson Robinson is a, is a heck of an athlete, and you know up until probably mid season this year, he 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 didn't seem to be as effective uh, throwing the ball, and then all of a sudden it seems like things have started clicking for him. What do you think that was that turned that around? I think it's um, a lot of it is just simple progression. Uh, the thing you have to remember about Dorian is um, he only really started one season of high school football. Um, so he really just didn't have a lot of reps. Um, and then he probably started played about half the snaps last year um, and had injury issues that he was dealing with. So he just, I mean, he's still at the very early stages of learning the position. And at the beginning of the year, he looked bad, out and out bad. And then he steadily got better all throughout the year to the point where he's now looking pretty good. Um, there's still some issues, um, but I think the, the scheme is starting to evolve to fit his strengths a little bit better. He's starting to get more comfortable doing things like making a play with his leg on a third and you know seven 
when nothing's immediately available. Um, he's, he's shown a little bit better feel for when he needs to make a play with his legs and uses athleticism. And I think that's freeing more things up in the passing game. Um, so I think it's a combination of things. I think the offense has continued to evolve. They've kind of ditched um, trying to play that open field for tight end set as much. Now that's typically just the short yardage thing. They're playing personnel groups that fit more with what he's going to be doing. Um, a lot more 11 personnel than they were doing at the beginning of the year. Um, but I think it's just the evolution of a player. Um, I don't think that one is much a scheme change as much as it is the, the, you know, he's just gotten better over the course of the year. So David, I'm, I'm a big fan of Joshua Kelly. Uh, you know, I think he's been a, a big key to the UCLA offense this season. I, know he, I think he's second in the league right now in, in touchdowns, um, really carrying, you know, that, that senior leadership with him. Two part question for you. Do you think he's, he kind of gets overlooked in this conference and what are his strengths? What makes him such a great running back? I'll answer the first, the second ones first because I think it informs why he gets overlooked a little bit. I don't think there's a single thing that Joshua Kelly is like a super elite guy in. I don't think you're going to see sprinter speed there. Um, I don't. He's not an elite size guy. Um, there's not. A, there's not like elite level quickness. He's really good at everything. Um, he's a really good speed guy. He's a really good big back. He's really tough. He's really good at breaking tackles. He's just not, you know, off the charts at any of those things. Like he's not going to drop an Eno Benjamin spin move. He's not going to have that burst that Zach Moss has. Like there's, there's a, a wide variety of skills that he has. Um, and I think that's part of why he gets overlooked. And the other thing is he's playing, he's now played two seasons where he's been limited. Um, in the first season, it was because he wasn't practicing right for Chip Kelly's purposes. So he really wasn't playing much the first three games last year. And then this year he had, he was injured. Um, he had a knee injury, um, that really didn't get completely sorted out into the fourth or fifth game. So his numbers are a little bit down, um, from like a yards per carry standpoint. But right now he's at his healthiest. I think he's been at UCLA. Um, and it's showing in just every run you see from him without great offensive line play in front of him. He still makes positive gains, positive gains. And so many of his runs involve getting hit at the line of scrimmage. And he's just making making yards after that. He really does a lot with very little blocking. Um, and it I, it would be very exciting to see him in an offense where there's actually an offensive line that's, you know, good or better. Um, and if he does get a shot in the NFL, it'll be very interesting to see where he lands and see if he can uh, really outplay what his, his college numbers are. But, no, I mean, he's a very good back. I think he's right there in the triumvirate at the top of the Pac-12, which I would put as probably Moss, Benjamin, and Kelly. Um, so yeah, I think he's, he's, he's a really good player, really good player. So Ethan, uh, Fernea, wide receiver came out this week with some comments about, uh, um, showing Utah, you know, the, the physical, the physical play that they're going to be, sh- they're going to come with on Saturday kind of ruffled some, some feathers here in, here in Utah, probably a pretty innocent, uh, statement that he made, but ultimately with Chip Kelly, is Chip Kelly trying to just change the mindset of this program that it's been for a number of years and, and create a more physical football team? Yeah, and I think that's been a narrative around UCLA for several different coaching staff now, and I'm sure that's something that Chip Kelly's trying to do. Um, style of play-wise, I think UCLA has some standard to it. Like, they want to run those four tight end sets and do some big smash-mouth stuff at different times. Um, the Furnia comments, I think, are 
interesting. Um, I'm, I'm, I can't imagine that Chip Kelly was super happy with what he said, um, but I don't think it was, I mean, I listened to it and I didn't think it was super inflammatory. I think he was just trying to basically, you know, say, Hey, you know, we've gotten tougher and better. So I'm interested to see what that game's like is essentially the way, the vibe I got from it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I think that's definitely something that Chip Kelly wants. He wants this team to have a tough mindset and to be tougher. And, um, you know, they're whatever, I think seven and, 14 or something through the through the Chip Kelly era right now, so we'll see how this plays out, um, but they certainly haven't been better so far, so we'll see if they end up tougher. Yeah, going back to the evolution of, of the offense for UCLA throughout the year, you know, going back to the Washington State game when they kind of broke out and had that 32-point second-half comeback, do you think a lot of that, their, their effectiveness since then has been more of a confidence thing they they finally realize hey we we can play we can score or is it more is it more x's and o's um offensively it's been such a steady progression that i think a lot of it is um chip kelly look whatever chip kelly lost as a coach between oregon and now um and you could write a book about it and i i don't even know the answer to it I think you still have to say he's a very good offensive mind. Um, and I think he's tinkered this season and he's settled on personnel groups, play types and different things that work well. I think he's also shaken off some off season rust. I think each season he started out, um, with some odd play calls. And as the season has progressed, he's gotten more in a rhythm. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think that's something that coaches will tell you it's true, even if they don't, you know, cop to it publicly that they need to get in a rhythm too. Um, and I think he's just in more of a rhythm now. I think the play calls are coming a lot faster and they look, you know, they're more effective. Um, but just, but just generally, I think the offense, um, just has improved quite a bit. So David, you kind of bring up chip Kelly and kind of tinkering, tinkering things around with, with that offense and play calling and whatnot. I know when he got hired on, you know, a lot of people outside of UCLA, especially here in Utah, we're kind of envisioning that this team was going to be, you know, Oregon light, kind of an Oregon 2.0, what Kelly was running up there. You know, they they are pl- having a, a lot of snaps. I think they're averaging, what, like over 70 snaps a game. Do you foresee this continuing to kind of be an offense that was very similar uh, to, to what Kelly ran in Oregon? Or do you find that Kelly's kind of matured as, as a coach as the game has evolved and he's kind of changing what he, what he wants to do with the program. Um, so first, I don't think it'll look, I, I don't think it's ever going to look like Oregon um, from like a tempo blur standpoint. I, and I don't think he has any interest in running essentially exclusively the spread ever again. Um, and I don't think it's a product of him maturing as a coach. Um, I think it's a product of him changing as a coach um, for good or ill. Um, this offense as good as it's going right now is still a far cry from, you know, really anything he was doing at Oregon, but certainly the peak years. Um, so we'll see if it continues to get better and better and better. Um, but no, it's a, it's a multiple scheme. He's trying to do a wide variety of things. I think the best way to, to talk about it is he's trying to have the perfect tool every week to take advantage of whatever he sees on film from the opposing defense. Um, and so you'll see an entirely different flavor of the week every single week. Um, it's probably the most, um, dynamic I don't but I don't mean it in the sense that everyone uses it which is like good it's just another thing for good 
I mean dynamic in that it's ever-changing. It's one of the most dynamic offenses I've seen in that week to week, they'll just do an entirely different thing. Um, and it's just, it varies by the matchup. He wants to be able to do that. He wants to be able to pick apart opposing defense. And there are a few who are better at it, um, but it does, at the college level, it's a challenge. And my, my one concern for it going forward, getting college kids to learn how to run, you know, chunks of a different offense every single week is a challenge. With this improved defense that UCLA has trotted out the last month of this season, how do you see UCLA defending this this offense of Utah? I think they're going to have to sell out to stop the run. The thing that's worked the last few weeks is that they've generally been playing either young or shaky quarterbacks, and Tyler Huntley's neither of those. Um, for my money, Tyler Huntley's been the best quarterback in the league this year. Um, so you're not going to have this. They're not going to have the same success pressuring Huntley that they've had in the last few weeks. Um, so I think you're going to have to sell out, try to stop Moss, limit him to you know under 100 yards. Try your best to do that, and then just hope that your corners on islands can handle it um, for a length of time. The thing is with Utah, they can get a little bit stubborn trying to establish the run. So if you can take it away, they're still going to try to force it. I think. Um, and they've never been a huge, super high volume passing attack. Um, so I think that's, that, that's the hope. Um, <laughs> whether it ends up successful is anyone's guess, but I would have to imagine anything that you're, you're going to do is have to be predicated on stopping, um, Moss. Um, it'll be a tall order, very tall order. You know, as, as Cameron mentioned uh, a little bit ago, that UCLA is averaging about 70 plays a game offensively and, and, on the other side of that, Utah is holding teams to running about 50 or so plays a game. Uh, do you think UCLA's offense can be effective enough to get that number up where they need it to be? Um, against this defense, I think it'll be a challenge. Um, but the 70 plays, I think, is a little bit deceptive, um, if only because they're, they're not really a tempo offense. I think that's just more a factor of, you know, probably a lot of incomplete passes and then some boom and bust plays. Um, but I don't think it'll necessarily be dictated by play total. Um, I think UCLA under Kelly wants to be comfortable running anywhere between 55 and 80 plays. Um, I, I think that's part of why he went to this multiple look and, you know, different tempo style because he doesn't want to, you know, essentially have what happened to him at Oregon where, you know, you get into a game where a team has four weeks to prepare and suddenly they can shut you down um, and you don't have a backup plan. Um, I think he wants to have something that has a built-in backup plan where they can do everything. Um, so I, I don't think that's necessarily going to dictate any sort of outcome for this one. I think it's fundamentally going to come down to the fact that Utah has a better offense and a better defense than UCLA, um, and it'll require... It'll require UCLA playing at a level, to win this game, it would require UCLA playing at a level even above what they've done the last three games, which is playing like a really good team. Um, I think they'll need to play their best game in two years under Chip Kelly for sure to come out with a win in this one. So David, the, the line came out, and I think Utah uh, is is favored by about 21 points right now. I, I kind of think that's a little too high. I kind of see it as a little closer game. Um, as you're looking yeah. at this game, uh, where uh, kind of where do you think this game? How do you think this game's going to go? I think so. I, I I agree with you. I think it's a little bit high, but not 
too bad. I would probably have it at, at Utah minus 17, something like that. Um, I think UCLA is going to be competitive in stages. Um, I just don't think they're built to handle a team that's as balanced and good as Utah. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think the best combo of defense and offense in the league. I, I think Utah is the best team in the league, and I think it's like not super close between them and Utah and, and Oregon. Um, Utah's looked just passed my eye test in a huge way this year. Um, so I, I think Utah will win it fairly comfortably. I think UCLA's defensive adjustments, um, I'm interested to see how they hold up against a team of Utah's caliber. I'll say that. Um, and if they're able to keep it to a one-score game in the first half, I think that would be a major win. Um, and as long as they can maintain this one as a really competitive game, um, I think it bodes well for UCLA winning the final two and, and ending up full eligible. Um, but no, I'm, I, I think there's a, there's a very tight window for this to be a UCLA win. Um, and I, I would, I would pick Utah, uh, uh, by about 17 points. So you can read his stuff on Bruin Report online, part of 247 Sports. They do a great job. And then, David, I'm a big fan of the podcast of Champions covering, you know, the entire Pac-12 conference. Uh, great listen. Uh, where can Utah fans, uh, if they want to kind of keep up what's going on with the Bruins this week, where can where can Utah fans find you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, sure. You can find me um, at David David Woods um, on Twitter. Um, generally just, um, you know, talking trash about the team I cover. Um, but also everybody else. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, find me on Twitter there. Um, sure, it'll be a fun time for everyone. Awesome. Hey, David, thank you so much for for joining us and taking time out of your busy night. No problem, guys. It was uh, it was fun. Big thanks to David uh, for for jumping on and really breaking down that UCLA team again. You know, check out their site at Bruin Report Online. Uh, it's part of the two four seven Sports, and then. Heck, you're listening to us, so you're into podcasts. Check out Podcasts of Champions. They do a great job covering uh, the Pac-12 League. So David had really some really interesting things uh, with UCLA, especially, I think, talking about their defense and how well they've stepped up over the last uh, couple weeks. That You know, from outsider, I kind of was expecting more uh, for him to say that their offense uh, was really leading that charge. But, it, but to David, it's all about their defense right now. Well, and the, and the numbers back that up. I mean, over these uh, again, going back to these last three game stretch where they're on a three game win streak, they're they're giving up only eighty six yards on the ground. Now, uh, gr- granted, they're going up against JV football teams, but um, that's that's a huge improvement from where they were early on in the season. I mean, over the course of the entire season, they're at one thirty seven a game, so it's a huge substantial increase or a decrease that they're giving up um, defensively on the run game. And and again, 186 through the air um, over the course of the season at 294 uh, passing yards. So they've they're they're still not what you would consider a stout defense, but they've definitely made some strides. I mean, if you watched that Washington State UCLA game early on in the season for the handful of people that stayed up till like 2 a.m. to watch that thing, I mean, it was nuts. There was. Neither team was interested in playing a lick of defense in that, that game. That was a no, crazy it was, game. It was touchdown almost every time somebody touched the ball. I mean, you never see football combined scores 120-plus points. I mean, that's just <laughs> insane. Well, and You don't score that many points in a second half, let alone when you're in that big of a deficit. So it was absolutely crazy. And they had a lot of things go their way that night. 
um, as far as some special teams um, scores and and some fumbles, just a number of things. But but yeah, to David's point, I mean, they've really kind of revamped and 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 have made some progress, you know. But overall, you look at the numbers, and and it's not something that you know I'm necessarily super concerned about that uh, they're going to be able to shut Zach Moss completely down. Obviously, to to David's point, that's going to be their their focus. But that's every team's th- focus that's exactly. every week. That's that's Moss has seen that week in and week out. He's he's the focal point of the defense to stop him and then let Tyler go do what he does. And I think you're going to see that again. Obviously, um, you know Tyler has proven game in and game out that. If you're going to load the box, he's going to make you pay. And and we've got wide receivers, and we've got a we've got a passing game now that can make those game plans fall apart really quick. So I, I totally agree. I think that's a really interesting point that David brought up about UCLA needing to stop Utah's rushing attack with Zach Moss. UCLA right now on the season is only giving up 137 yards on the ground, which I mean, 35th best in the country. I mean, so it's decent numbers, but it, it it will be interesting because David even mentioned that UCLA's defensive line is is going to be smaller. Well, I mean, and you and they pulled a guy who was an outside linebacker last year who's playing like nose tackle now. <laughs> That's a little surprising to me. And then with Utah coming off off the bye week, hopefully their offensive line is is healthy. Well, I, I will say, Kyle, if you're listening, which I know you do, because in all your free time, you, you pull up the podcast, but start Simi Moala, please. <laughs> Let's, no, no, no first quarter experiments, no fake injuries. Let's put the proven product on the field here. All right? We learned our lesson. Simi, take it away, buddy. If UCLA is playing smaller guys... It's not. I. I don't think it's going to bode well for them. Obviously, they're smaller. They may be quicker, but our offensive line is huge. And and Cal probably has one of the better defenses in the in the conference. Zach got his hundred yards. It's and Ty, Tyler was on one leg and torched Cal in that yeah, first. I, that I first just don't half. see this. I just don't see this going well. And you, you know, Cameron, we, you asked the you asked David the question about the the spread and if he thinks it's uh, too large, and he said maybe a bit high. I, I, I don't. See, I think it's where it should be based off what we've seen with with Utah's offense and and what we've seen with with UCLA's defense. Granted, they played better, but they go back to what Scott's talked about. They're they haven't played good teams when they've started to improve. I, I don't think I don't think they've proven that they've gotten better enough to stop Utah. No, and I don't I don't think that I don't think UCLA is gonna beat Utah. And we'll no, get to I our predictions I know, I don't, I know I, you didn't mean my, that. My reasoning why I think the spread is is a little too high is if I think UCLA's playing better. I'll give them full credit on that. But UCLA has really been controlling time of possession and snaps as of late. Like I said, they're they're having almost 80 snaps a game. That's a lot on a defense to have to play 80 snaps. And, and Utah's do, defense hasn't played that. But but Utah's defense is not going to allow them to play 80 snaps. That's the no, difference. I'm not, no, I'm not saying that they are. 
But I think that's going to be part of their game plan. One thing that Chip Kelly is going to do is try to keep Zach Moss on the sideline, keep Tyler Huntley on the sideline, something that Utah's defense does very well. I think think that's going to be the the type of recipe that Chip Kelly is going to come in. But you know who tried that two weeks ago? Well, the Huskies. The Huskies. Mr. Peterson. He tried it. We beat him at his own game, and he sounded so surprised. It's like, have you not been watching Utah football since we joined the conference, dude? That's what we do. And Utah does it better than most any team in this conference. That's why Utah's defense is averaging 50 snaps a game right now, which is the lowest in the country by a pretty significant margin, is because they're getting teams off the field on third down, they're taking the ball away, and the offense is productive at keeping the ball and, and sustaining long drives, getting first downs. And and I don't see that changing. I don't think UCLA is going to come in and break our will to the point where they're able to get 70-plus snaps on this defense and control the game with their offense. I just don't see that happening. I, I mean, at the end of the day, Vegas, they're pretty dang accurate when it comes to this. And just because it's a 21-point Spread doesn't mean, oh, well, you know, it's going to be a blowout. But uh, every the making is there for it to be a blowout if we don't shoot ourselves in the foot. We don't turn the ball over. We don't give short fields. If we play Utah football, it will be a 21-point victory. And frankly, it needs to be 21-plus if Utah wants to show some style points to get in the playoffs. But 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 I I think UCLA is going to pose a, a significant challenge to our defense. I mean I I think there's there's no doubt about it. A quarterback who who is pretty good passing the ball, but is also dynamic with his legs. It it only takes a couple of breakdowns to get him going, and 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 that can be trouble. I, I'm I don't think we're going to shut UCLA out or allow three or ten points, I think they're going to put some points up on the board. But I also think we're going to be able to put put more points up on the board and and minimize, you know, right now they're averaging in that three-game window about 30, about 35 points a game. We're not giving up 35 points to these guys. I, I just don't see it unless something crazy happens, some special team scores, um, you know, short fields, things like that. Um, well, and the other thing, I think that's really been – Troubling this Utah team has been turnovers the last couple games. Yeah, you. I mean, that I that don't give the ball against, to Vickers. We, we saw <laughs> last game with Washington with kind of two weird turnovers by the offense. Uh, you know, with the ASU game, I, I saw, literally went back and I watched Vickers fumble. I am still amazed how that ball exploded out of his arm. The he was barely touched. I can't get over that. It was bizarro. No statue for Vickers. <laughs> Only for Huntley. So before we dive kind of in, into Pac-12 and kind of what's going on in that crazy world, you know, Utah basketball has started. They got a very impressive win against Nevada. I don't care if it's a Mountain West school, an 18-game home winning streak. Their best, that was Utah's best win in over two years, if you look at the Ken Palm rating. And then they come out and destroy Mississippi Valley by nine over ninety points. One of the one of the best or one of the largest Division One victories in nope. all of college the history. Largest. They're. I know they're not going to win a lot of games come Pac twelve time, but this team's fun. They're young. 
And honestly, if you just kind of go into the season just enjoying the small victories, I think it can be a fun season for fans. Okay, def- if, define a lot of victories. If well, if they can score points, they're going to give some teams some trouble. Yeah, so so I, I'm just curious. When you say they're not going to get a lot of victories. I'm, I'm just saying I don't see this team competing for a top four spot come Pac-12. Yeah, and, and, and they very well may not, but I, I do think they're going to surprise some teams because they definitely, in two games, have s- significantly surprised me because I didn't expect them to look as good as they did on the road. Game number one with that many new parts, that young of a team. Now, granted, this is not the Nevada team of the last couple of years, but it's still a tough place to play. And to go in and and win that game, and then, then they bounce it back with a, it was a historic game. <laughs> I, I was there. I invited both you yahoos, and you didn't want to come. Sorry, I I was at the jazz game for that historic <laughs> game. <laughs> but I mean, it was it was literally the most entertaining blowout game I've ever been to. So if Ryland Jones, it's his first game ever in the Huntsman Center, and he and he gets a triple double. And then Booth Gotch does the exact same thing. Two guys in one game getting triple doubles. Now, granted, if you've lived through the Majerus years, you've seen like a lot. You've seen a lot of directional, a lot of weird named teams come through the Huntsman Center over the years. Directional. <laughs> a lot of a lot of schools that you did not peg. That would be the name of a university. <laughs> And that was by far the one of the worst teams I think I've ever seen play at any level. But Utah did what you want a Utah yeah. team to do. No, they did. I mean, and and they executed. They were hitting shots. And the, the thing that, that impressed me the most is you've got so many guys, they play hard. So, you know, so Larry, Larry says, you know, he doesn't want to recruit turds. Well, he's recruited a number of turds, and, uh, and it's affected the chemistry. That team, I think Larry is going to love coaching this team. Guys just, they play hard. They play within themselves. Brendan Carlson is just a fresh, a breath of fresh air at the center position. A dude who looks like he's played basketball before. He can protect the paint. He can score. And he doesn't look awkward doing it. I mean, seriously, I, I came away extremely impressed. And yes, we're not going to win the conference championship this year. I don't think we're really even going to be in, you know, we're not going to compete for it. But I think, I think, without a doubt, I th- I see a top half finish for this for this team. And as young as they are, and with a top five recruiting class coming in next year, I don't know. Maybe Larry's turned a corner. We've said that before, and then they <laughs> and then they backslid. But I, I'm pretty encouraged with what we've seen through two games. Well, if they can keep that up, Cameron, you're right. They're not going to be competing for the top four, but they'll definitely be above where they were picked at ninth if they can score that many points. Definitely. And I think that the two things I'm kind of taking away so far, and again, it's only two games, but Larry said at the beginning of the season, uh, before any games were played, that he's changing the way that he's coaching, the way he's approaching this team. Does that include out-of-bounds plays? <laughs> And I kind of yeah, feel he's gonna call some this year. <laughs> I kind of feel to your point, Scott, when you said that Larry's gonna have fun coaching this team. I, to me, when Larry was saying that he changed, I kind of thought, uh, "Well, we'll see." But in the first two games, I kind of have it. Kind of seems like he's changed a little bit, 
And I think this team is doing it to him because they're so young, because they're so talented. They're playing in the first two games. They've they've played as one unit, and that's been fun. Well, and, and that's what's surprising. As young and inexperienced as they are, they literally look, they don't look like a brand new team. No. And then my second takeaway is Raylan Jones. It just watching him at Olympus High, I was always curious how his game was going to translate to the Division One level from the get go. He he's a D one starting point guard. That's phenomenal. And against Nevada, he had to step up and make two big free throws, and he knocked them down. And then to your point, Scott had the triple double uh, this last week. So honestly, for a kid that grew up in the Huntsman Center, it's no surprise at how comfortable he looked um, against Mississippi Valley. And hopefully he'll continue continue to do that and be and really turn into one of the one of the better players on this team. Well, and the thing that's impressive about him is he's he he looks like he's twelve, and he <laughs> he's undersized. I mean, he's an undersized yeah. guard, but he doesn't play like that. I mean, he is gonna frustrate dudes all season long. And and he's 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 impressive with his ability to get in the lane, find guys, and deliver some really nice passes, and and create easy opportunities for his teammates. And and he's got a nice shot to go along with it. So he's 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 going to be the real deal. And I I think he plays a big part. If you've got a point guard who can control the game, who can run the offense, and really make make the job of of everybody else easier. I think that's what we're really seeing is is he's making the job easier for everybody around him. And you still have a, a, a good test uh, this week as they take on Minnesota up at the Huntsman. As we look into the Pac-12 um, games last week, Scott, your reign of 4-0 came to an end. It was about time. Scott goes 1-3, but not as bad as Ryan. He went 0-4. <laughs> I picked a couple of flyers and I, I and I failed and I well I failed. I was on a bye week mentally. <laughs> I only went two and two, so I don't have a, a lot to to brag about. But on the season on our picks, I I caught back up to Scott. Uh, we're both at twenty four and fifteen, and Ryan twenty two and seventeen. So we take a, a look at the games. Uh, the first game, Washington defeats Oregon State. Ryan, good job picking the Beavers on that one. <laughs> Uh, Washington gets the game nineteen I told to you seven. I a couple of flyers. And Oregon State only scored on a pick six, so they should have been shot out. And that was the only game I got. Man, <laughs> but Washington bouncing back after after uh, losing to Utah, but didn't really. They weren't that impressive. Jacob Eason, sixteen of thirty two, one hundred seventy five yards and two picks. I was actually surprised that Oregon State couldn't put more points up on the board. They've been pretty prolific. But you know what? They've been prolific against bad teams. They're kind of uh, they're kind of like the UCLA of of the North Division. True. They prey on the on the weak, and they're awful against the good. <laughs> Although I was surprised that uh, Washington only put up nineteen points against their D. Well, it was it was the week after Utah. They traveled on a short week, and uh, yeah, I mean Washington—they're just—they're definitely not what they were of the of the last couple of years. The other thing I think is crazy—I know every fan base has this, and we, especially I mean we have it in Utah with Kyle Winningham, but fans that want Chris Peterson ran out of Seattle—I I don't understand. Well, did you see fans were 
Alabama fans didn't weren't going to renew their season tickets if Saban was the coach next year. I'm thinking, how out of touch are some of you folks? <laughs> yeah, it's a honestly every fan base has it. So don't be one of those fans. Uh, the next game, we all got this wrong. Stanford loses to the garbage team of Colorado, sixteen to thirteen. Maybe Stanford's my new garbage team because the trees are crap. You know what? There's there's a, there's a number of them, and they just rotate. <laughs> Uh, the thing with Stanford, I I don't even know. I I honestly, Costillo played. He was healthy, and their offense just doesn't finish drives. And I don't know what's going on up there. I know they've had a lot of turnover uh, personnel wise on the coaching staff and and the strength and conditioning staff. Is is Shaw running out of his magic? He might be. He he's been figured out, and uh, he he's no longer able to do what he what he once did when he took over for Harbaugh. I don't know. Sure, looking like it. And then the game that I got right, you guys got wrong. USC comes away with the victory over Arizona State. Now, granted, we thought that Jaden Daniels, Jaden Daniels, was going to be well. Quarterback. That's your fault. <laughs> USC scores 28 points in the first quarter, and then they only get a field goal the rest of the way. And they still they won. They still won. ASU, you are... Seriously, what is the deal with ASU? Unbelievable. I think, I, I think your tweet said it best on their game day, that Herm Edwards is what we thought he was when they hired him. Yeah, he kind of tricked us, right? We all thought he was garbage, and then he tricked us. Like, okay, you're actually pretty decent, but now you're back to garbage. So to your point, Jaden Daniels did not play with an injury. So Yellen uh, gets the go. He goes 28 of 44, 292 yards, four touchdown passes from him uh, with, with two picks. And the, you know, the pick that kind of sealed the game. I don't know why he was trying to dump it off in the middle of the field for three yards. A little when check 30 down. Seconds I know. Left. Throw that ball away. Well, if, if the tight end, a play before that, catches it in the seam, he scores, ASU True. wins. He, he did drop And that. the South is basically ours. Uh, but I think this game really just shows this USC team that they are super talented. They come out, they score 28 points, and then they just don't care anymore. And then as soon as the game gets close, oh, they they tighten up and, and flex their muscles. I think that kind of shows what kind of really this program is. Tons of talent, but do they care? And then the last game, uh, the uh, last game that we picked, Washington State loses to Cal 33 to 20. Uh Devin Mobster just had a phenomenal game uh for him a career high three touchdown passes uh to beat Washington State. But there's a lot of controversy in this game and this is I think where I really want to focus this segment about Pac-12 officiating is the true garbage. We've known it for years. They finally just realized it and thought they had knew, knew they had to do something about it. So if if you haven't heard the controversy, just a little recap: Washington State on a kickoff returns the returns it out past the fifty yard line, and there was a penalty for illegal hands to the face that was against Cal, but the officiating crew pointed it was on Washington State. So they put the ball back at the eight-yard line and then ran a play, and after that, they couldn't change it. Whereas if they did it correctly, 
the ball should have been on the Cal's 35-yard line. So a 57-yard error in this, with which turned into a, a, a Washington State field goal. But having a short field of 35 yards, they potentially could have had a touchdown out of that. And we wonder why everyone thinks the Pac-12 is a joke. Where's Woody Dixon right now? Ray Anderson, who was put in charge of the officials, where's he at? Where you at, Ray? But honestly, how on earth, out of all the egregious errors, everything that has gone on in the Pac-12 with officiating, and this is the first thing that gets them a suspension? True, they did suspend the official and then downgraded the rest of the crew, but this is where I get to frustrated. Uh, who knows? To Mountain West? <laughs> this to, is... to Stanford, Colorado games? <laughs> This is where I get frustrated because you have David Coleman, the Pac-12 head of officiating. You have Larry Scott. You have the controversy with with Woody Dixon. No one at that executive level has been reprimanded, has lost their jobs. If you want change, if you want... No, Larry Larry had to fly coach for one one, one time. (laughs) If you want change, if you want to be more respected, then act like a leader. Larry, you're a freaking joke as a commissioner. I'm right now. I'm doing that preach gif that you see on Twitter all the time. Preach, Cameron, <laughs> preach. There are so many things wrong with this league that he just wants to hide in his San Francisco office, and again, just boast about how they own their own media rights that no one has access to. And I know I'm kind of getting on a soapbox right now, but it really pisses me off as a fan that he doesn't care. He doesn't do anything. All these things that people want to bash about the Pac-12, about how they just beat each other up. There's no real front runner. All that garbage. Use that as a PR. Use that as we have the most parody of any other conference in the in the country. How is the the highest paid commissioner this bad at his job. And we're stuck with this Yahoo until 2022. And I hope with all these new presidents coming on board that they don't bring him back. But all this crap that happens year after year and nothing happens about it. No, it's because there's too many, there's too many people around him that also don't care. And he's not being held accountable I, I just don't see the point of getting frustrated with it anymore because nothing happens. And nothing, I think that's where I'm getting frustrated. That's where I'm frustrated because nothing will happen. And then Larry Scott will have, you know, this this media frenzy about what they're doing to change. And they've brought in a third party to to look at what they can do better and nothing. How is Woody Dixon still on payroll? The same reason Larry Scott is. It's it's a joke. They're buddies. They hang out. The so, only somebody's got to serve Larry his dinner on. Oh, I'm feisty. On the, right the only now. way it's going to change is if the presidents of the universities get involved in, or in the eighties. It's Washington State. Obviously, their season's been a joke, and they didn't have a lot on the line. Win or loss doesn't necessarily matter. But their coaching staff, their AD, their president needs to take this seriously and rally the troops, so to speak, and, and, and facilitate some type of change. I mean, 
granted the officials should be held accountable and it was that's an egregious error but what on a completely different side note where in the world was mike leach and his coaching staff not calling out the officials going what what's going on before the plays run he didn't because he doesn't pay attention he walks around with this aloof look on his face the entire game he barely knows if his team has the ball or not I just, I know I'm on my soapbox, and it's, it it, it does no good because it's not going to change anything, me just complaining about Larry Scott. But but that's what happens when you hire a tennis executive. I mean, it, it really is. Why on earth are you hiring that guy in the first place? I can, I don't know, maybe hire a guy who has some experience in an actual real sport? Again, it just it doesn't make sense to me. But you know what you know what we all need right now, because Cam's kind of fired up. He's he's I'm brought, feisty. He's brought a, he's brought some emotion to the podcast. I think we all need to calm back down a little bit, and uh, I think it's time that we go for our update on the Tyler Huntley statue. Are are you done with your statue yet? No, this is I'm here for the update. <laughs> so we're a week in, and now Ryan Ryan picked earlier. He was closer. Um, Price is right rules. Um, uh, Price is right rules. You're both disqualified, actually. But um, Ryan was closer, so he gets to help me finish. I'm I'm having some problems in the glute area. <laughs> Haven't been able to get those quite right. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's coming. It's coming around nicely. I, I by the end of the season, I, it should be bronzed, and it should be in 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 pretty good pretty good condition. Bronzed Play-Doh? Because I'm I'm looking forward to how we're going to unveil this for our listeners and for you fans everywhere. It it may be so good, Mister Harlan may want to put it right outside the uh, Rice Eccles. All right, let's go ahead and then uh, look at this week's games. All right, the first game we're looking at, Stanford's traveling up to Pullman to play Washington State. Uh, Washington State's a 10.5-point favorite as we're recording this. Ryan, who do you got? That's going to be a barn burner, uh, but I'm going to go with the Cougars. I think Stanford is just a little more awful. Yeah, I agree. I'll go with the Cougars as well, and it'll be interesting to see what else the Pac-12 officiating crew does to Mike Leach and the Cougars (laughs) this week. Scott? They have targeted Leach quite a bit, and uh, although he was fairly diplomatic today in his comments towards uh, that blunder, but uh, those types of things seem to follow him. So I would like to see another one, but I will go with the Cougs on this. I think uh, I think Stanford, although Stanford will probably put together an all-time performance and win because that's what they've done this season. But I'll go with the Cougs. Straight straight sweet from the Cougs. And then ASU is traveling to Corvallis to play the Beavers. This game started as a pick uh, It's now moved to ASU for two and a half. Ryan, who do you got? Well, if Jaden Daniels cannot go, I'm going to go with uh, the Beavs. I think even if Jaden Daniels can't go, I, I think they, they showed well against AS, or they showed well against USC. Uh, Oregon State, they're just kind of trending down right now. Uh, so I'll go with the Sun Devils in that one, Scott. Wow, you're going with Sun Devils? 
They're about to lose four in a row, and you're going with them? Yikes. Now, I got the Beavs. The Beavs are really good against bad competition, and that is what ASU is. So if Jaden, especially, I, I don't even care if Jaden plays. I think I'm going to go with the Beavs on that. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Right. And the next game, Arizona's traveling to Eugene. Air, Oregon is a 27-point favorite. I, I'm just going to say it right now. Is it Oregon across the board? Oregon across the board, and we want them to because we want them undefeated. I mean, we want them to go undefeated the rest of the way when we play them. Go... Doug Nachos. USC is traveling to Cal. USC is a six and a half point favorite right now. That's a tough one. Um, Cal at home. Could I, yeah, I think I'll go with Trojans. I got the Trojans on that one as well. Fight on. Scott, who do you got? Well, with Garber possibly coming back, now who knows what he's going to look like, but that does change things a little bit for Cal. But I just don't have any confidence that they'll be able to uh, to stop USC enough. So I'm, I'll go with the Dirty Dirty Trojans. And then the last game, UCLA is traveling to place the Utes. Utah's a 21-point favorite right now. Ryan, who do you got and what's your score? Utah all the way, 45-20. I definitely think Utah gets this win. Again, I think 21's just a little too high. Uh, for me, but I, I honestly think Zach Moss is is going to have a big game, and I know UCLA. Uh, what David had mentioned that UCLA that's going to be their focus. Uh, but coming off a bye week, this offensive line is going to be more healthy. They're going to get some huge holes for Zach, and he's just going to run wild. I have Utah thirty-five, UCLA seventeen. Scott, yeah, I. I... I think it's going to be a, a pretty good game early. I think Utah ultimately is going to pull away. I got a final score. I'm going. I'm going to go 41 to 24 final. All right, Ryan. Where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. Drum the letter N Feather. And Scott, you can find me and my statue at Uteman underscore forever. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Utah Man Podcast. You can always go to our home at utahmanpodcast.com. And you can always listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We are there. And hopefully Utah gets a big win and a little style points against UCLA to help them in their playoff hopes. And go Utes. Go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be teledekayite. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah.